0: A few weeks ago, the Republican candidate running for a House seat in Montana got in a little scuffle. He threw a reporter to the ground in full view of a bunch of witnesses.
1: It ended with a pair of broken glasses, a misdemeanor charge against the candidate, and a whole lot of national press. But it could have been worse. Yeah, somebody could have been shot. It's happened before, and that time a congressman died.
0: Hey, I'm Reed Wilson, and you're listening to the Hill's History Cast a podcast on the history and culture of American politics. Today, we're taking a field trip back in time to an era when insulting someone's honor could lead to bloodshed. So we're in the Capitol building, and Devin, you've led me to a set of stairs just below the House chamber, and there's a stain on the stairs.
1: Yeah, that's blood. Or at least that's what the tour guides say.
0: This is my colleague, Devin Henry. He spends his days in the Capitol tracking down lawmakers. He told me a while ago this is one of his favorite spots to take friends and family when they visit him. And wait, did you say blood?
1: Yeah, it's blood. And here's how it started. Back in 1887, a journalist named Charles Kincaid wrote an explosive story accusing a member of Congress named William Talby of having an affair. We turned to a couple of experts to tell us the rest of the story.
2: Talby was a new congressman from Kentucky. He was a sort of backwoods Methodist preacher who had, who had campaigned on
1: cleaning up Washington. That's Stephen Livingood. He's the chief guide at the U.S. Capitol Historical Society. William Preston Talby, you know, as Press, was a mountain man. His father had been a state senator, so he came from politics. He was a county clerk and a lawyer, and 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 all that. He was also an ordained minister, Methodist minister, for a time. Uh, He was a good, big man, uh, stout, strong, known as a good orator, known as a mountain orator when he went to Congress finally in 1885. And that's Jim Clotter. He's a history professor at Georgetown College and Kentucky's official state historian.
0: Kincaid's story ran in the Louisville Times, and it effectively ended Talby's political career. He didn't run for re-election in 1888, and he couldn't even go back to Kentucky. Kincaid had ruined his reputation back home.
2: He had to stay here because his reputation back there was ruined, and he would run into Kincaid
1: in the capital quite often. When Talby and Kincaid ran into each other, it went about as well as you'd expect. Talby was a big guy. Kincaid was pretty small and sickly. So Talby would rough him up, smack him around, and twist his ear.
0: The twisting ear part is important because it had symbolic roots in the tradition of chivalry.
1: Well, of course, all this goes back to chivalry.
2: Uh, which was east of here, you know, in Europe. Uh, And and you have all these rules of behavior to to, uh, indicate your class, and that's one of the things people don't know. If you twist a man's ear, you force him to bow in front of you, which is humiliating. And so this was a particular thing that William Talby did to, to Charles Kincaid was to tweak his ear and force him to bow when Talby was...
1: Uh, came by. On February 28, 1890, Talby twisted Kincaid's ear one more time. Kincaid told Talby he wasn't armed, and it was considered bad form to wound a man who wasn't armed. So Talby told Kincaid to arm himself.
0: And he did. A few hours later, Kincaid returned to the Capitol, found Talby, tapped him on the shoulder,
1: and shot him in the face, right here on these stairs. Talby staggered up the stairs and collapsed. They got him to the hospital, but it wasn't enough. Talby is expected to recover initially, but 11 days later he dies of his wounds. They never did find the bullet. It probably was blood poisoning or something like that that killed him.
0: There was a witness, and Kincaid even confessed. But when he went to trial, he was acquitted on the grounds that he had been defending himself.
2: This was expected behavior. That Talby knew what he was doing when he he tweaked the ear, and he paid the
0: consequences of it. To this day, Capitol tour guides will stop at this spot and point out the bloody stairs.
1: There's ghost stories that run around that says that when somebody trips in those steps, it's probably ghosts tripping them. But ghost stories are always popular stories for, for tour guides, at least. When we hear about the tradition of chivalry, we think duels, right? Like Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. Even the Great Compromiser, Henry Clay, fought two duels.
0: But there's a lot more to the rules of chivalry than just pacing around and shooting at each other.
2: We hear a lot about duels when in fact canings were more common. A duel must take place between a social equals. It's a way of of challenging someone as their peer. And so you have all these rules where you have seconds and you have exchanges of notes and all of that stuff. Uh, If you're dealing with someone of lower class, then you don't have to be as polite to them and you don't have to go through so many rituals. And uh, and so the common thing was to horsewhip them. And so that shows that they're the the lower class beast and you're the the animal tamer, uh, the person who who is above them in
0: class. And that's what happened on the other side of the Capitol in 1856 with Senator Charles Sumner and Representative Preston Brooks.
1: Sumner was this blue-blooded Brahmin from Massachusetts. He was a leading abolitionist who thought he could shame Southern senators into ending slavery. And in 1856, he stood up to give this big speech targeting one senator in particular. He gives this
2: lengthy speech called The Crime Against Kansas. And basically he said slavery is a moral issue. You can't vote it away. It doesn't matter what you vote about. That doesn't make slavery right. He compares uh, Senator Andrew Butler of South Carolina to Don Quixote. He says, Senator Butler's parading a a harlot through the country, telling everyone she's beautiful. Everyone can plainly see that she's not. uh, And she's immoral besides. And um, the problem with that was that poor Senator Butler's wife had just died. He was in mourning, and here he's accused of having a mistress. So Butler's second cousin, Preston Brooks, is is the congressman from the same area of South Carolina, Edgefield. And he hears about the speech. He goes and listens to part of it, and he feels on a number of levels that he's the one who ought to respond. Not only is he related to to Butler, so it's a family issue. Not only does he represent South Carolina, so it's a state issue. He represents their way of life. He also wants to be Butler's successor as senator. So he's got to assert himself as the leader, the new leader uh, in the in the failure of Butler's health. And so he decides it's his responsibility to reply to this
0: um, to this insult. Remember, duels are for social equals. But Brooks didn't see Sumner as a social equal. He thought Sumner was of lower social standing. So he waited outside the Capitol for a few days with a bullwhip, waiting to make an example of Sumner. Livingood said you would never used a bullwhip inside because you might break the crystal chandelier.
1: So after a few days, Brooks walks onto the floor of the Senate, where Sumner was sitting at his desk signing copies of this speech he'd just given insulting Andrew Butler.
2: Preston Brooks walked up to, to Sumner as he's sitting there at his desk and said, Sir, you have insulted my family, and I demand you retract what you've said. But he did not give Sumner time to do it. He knew Sumner wouldn't do it, and Sumner uh, certainly wouldn't have, knowing his personality. And so he began to strike him several dozen times, but the whole thing only took a few seconds.
0: It took Sumner years to recover. Brooks was charged with assault, pled guilty, and paid a fine. The House held a vote on whether to expel him, but Southern members voted to keep him around. Brooks resigned his seat anyway. Then he ran in a special election, hoping to prove he'd acted in the interests of the South, and he won in a landslide.
2: He proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was acting on behalf of the people of South Carolina when he beat up that senator. So he came back to Washington in triumph and was considered the new John C. Calhoun,
1: which is what he'd hoped to do. I mean, he really achieved what he wanted. Just a few months later, Brooks died of an unexpected illness. His body was taken back to Edgefield, South Carolina, in what was, at the time, the largest funeral procession in American history.
2: Preston Brooks was the hero of the South, and mourners lined the tracks all the way from Washington back to South Carolina.
0: So much of this history of chivalry, of gentlemen fighting for their honor and debating social standing, is rooted in the earliest settlers coming to America and the differences between how the North was settled and how the South was settled. Steve Livingood says you can still see that legacy today in the Capitol Rotunda, in between where Kincaid shot Talby and where Brooks beat up Sumner.
2: There are two paintings side by side. One is the Pilgrims and the other is Pocahontas. Now, we all know about the Pilgrims because we studied that in school, but we don't realize that the Pilgrims only settled the North. And the South did not identify with the Pilgrims. The South was settled by aristocrats. So it was particularly appealing to them that John Smith wrote about Pocahontas, and he, he wrote that the, this Indian princess had fallen in love with
1: him. Pocahontas had a son with her second husband shortly before she died, and that son had a lot of heirs.
2: Pocahontas, through this one child, has thousands of descendants all across the South. And, and if she is a princess, then they have royal blood. And so Pocahontas had to be put in the rotunda to the balance the pilgrims, who were common, ordinary people, and show that, that the, um, the South was settled by people of higher class. Yes.
1: And that legacy is why so many Southern members of Congress saw themselves as of a higher birth than their Northern rivals. Today, Democrats sit on one side of the aisle and Republicans sit on the other. But back before the Civil War, Southerners sat together and Northerners sat together.
0: Thanks for listening today. If you want to read more about William Talby, Charles Kincaid, Preston Brooks, and Charles Sumner, the House and Senate historians have long, in-depth stories we relied on for a lot of our information. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Hill History Cast, where we'll post pictures of the bloody stairs where Talby was shot.
1: Our thanks to Steve Livingood of the Capitol Historical Society and to James Clotter of Georgetown College.
0: Our producers are Mora Whiteman and Lisa Rule. Devin Henry, thanks for joining me today. I'm Reed Wilson, and you're listening to the Hills History Cast.